I moved to Koper, Slovenia in October of 2009. I was 23, feeling sprightly and young and ready for a new adventure. One of the first days there, I was walking along under a little bridge underpass, walking bridge, and there was spray painted on the wall in English the words, and Lenin went underground. I don't know, maybe this is from a song or some pop culture reference that I'm just not aware of. But it's fascinating. After living in Russia for a year, uh, obviously the idea of Leninism and Lenin himself and the Soviet Union has a lot more meaning to me now. But I would have to assume in this context, and Lenin went underground, that the graffiti is referring to the period before Lenin was sent back to Russia and before he started the revolution. He's talking about when Lenin was in Europe, in Paris, I think most of the time before he started the revolution. That's when Lenin went underground. So if you're writing that, are you talking about the revolution is coming? Like this is the quiet before the storm? Maybe. Hey guys, long time no see. This is 365 Honest Questions About the Bible. I'm your long-suffering host, Dante Stack, back with you after being off the air here, off the podcast streams for over a year. My wife just got a job in a little town of Pendleton, Oregon, so we moved from Moscow, Russia, to Pendleton, Oregon. I'm once again unemployed in Greenland, thus I am back uh, recording. Now, uh, moving forward, I have no concept of how frequently I'm going to be recording episodes. I don't think it's going to be a weekly thing. It's just going to have to be at my whim. Hopefully that's quite often, but I don't know. The main impetus for getting back on the air is because while I was in Russia, I spent a lot of time writing a book, actually, what's going to become multiple books. Uh, So I kind of want to use this podcast to promote that. I'm going to devote a whole episode coming soon on that next week. But this episode, I just kind of wanted to blather out my thoughts about uh, what it was like to live in Russia. Obviously, all my information is just anecdotal. Um, It's been fun, particularly fun, to live in Russia in a year when Russia's like in the paper every day, so that's kind of fun. You know, when it says, Moscow says this, blah, 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 blah. I'm looking around and thinking to myself, huh, we say that, huh? We who live in Moscow, it's, it's a funny concept. But anyway, I have 10 takeaways from my time in Russia that I'm going to run through here. Uh, But just going forward, uh, so I'll talk about Russia in this episode. Later this week, I will release question 91. So I want to at least give you one regular old 365 question before giving you my self-promotion book blather. So that'll come out later this week. And then next week, I I will do an episode that'll kind of tell you the the behind-the-scenes story and hopefully get you excited for this book I'm releasing, which is, by the way, called Fun with the Apocrypha. So, quick pitch is that it's a Cliff Notes fun version read-through of the Catholic Apocrypha. So I read through the Catholic Apocrypha, or what is commonly referred to as the Catholic Apocrypha, and to kind of take you through it with lots of quotes and telling pop culture references along the way. The idea is... You know, I read it, so you don't have to. And hopefully I've made it fun because there's some boring bits in there that I kind of can skim over and hopefully keep you involved. And you can learn and read it. It's a pretty short book, but uh, I had a lot of fun making it. 
and hope you check it out. It'll be available everywhere that iBooks or eBooks are available. You can pre-order it now as an eBook. It will come out September 1st, 2018. And again, the name is Fun with the Apocrypha by Dante Stack. Or if you want to buy it on paperback, it is already available for $12.95 on Amazon.com. Fun with the Apocrypha. Get your copy today. So I am going to kind of explain later why I talked about that graffiti I saw in Slovenia. But uh, let's just run through these 10 takeaways from Russia. First, (laughs) the stereotypes are true. You know, when you imagine Russians as kind of cold, not smiling people, gruff exteriors, gruff personalities, everybody's drinking vodka. Well, yeah. It's not super far off base. Um, In a lot of ways, a lot of the stereotypes just seem true. (laughs) But takeaway number two is that the stereotypes, of course, are not true. For instance, there's a lot of generosity beneath that gruff exterior. A lot of hospitality, a lot of goodwill. Give you one example. So we just moved to this small town and I've asked people, okay, So we're in Pendleton, Oregon. How long does it take before I could be considered a native of Pendleton, Oregon? And the answer I've received several times is that you have to have been born and raised to ever claim, you know, Pendletonian status. To be a creature of the culture, you have to have spent all your years here. So, like, there's no way me, as an outsider, could ever get into the inner circle of Pendletonian zeitgeisty stuff, whatever. Um, But to be Russian, we were told multiple times in multiple ways that to be Russian is to believe you're Russian. (laughs) All you have to do is if you live in Russia and you and you want to claim yourself as Russian, then you're Russian. That's it. I mean, it's it's nice. It's a nice concept that there's not a parade of, oh, you have to do this or accomplish this, do this, 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 and this, and live here for 35 years, and then you can claim yourself as a Russian. No, it was like, you're living among us, you're with us now, you're Russian. Yeah, you know us. Um, the other thing is, and I'll, I'll get into this with my third takeaway in half a minute, is uh, Russians are like... When Donkey in Shrek describes himself as an onion, like, you gotta peel back layers, that's exactly like Russians. Like, they're complicated. They're a complicated society, a complicated culture, a rich, obvious history, but it's not something you can easily understand or detect or translate just from looking at the surface. It takes time, and, you know, I'm sure I only got through two and a half layers of a 30-layered onion um, getting to know the people. So takeaway number three is how the Russian brain works. And this is a way also to describe that onion thing. When I moved to Slovenia, I felt like, okay, Slovenes might start with different presumptions about how the world works. But if I'm in a long conversation one-on-one with someone and we can get to agreeing on the same basic things, then we can work logically in a logical progression of ideas and arrive at the same conclusion. To me, that's, you know, that's Western thought. You start with a base, and then you can categorically work up from there, building building on top of that foundation. So I just couldn't ever get that way with Russians. And this is not to say they're doing it wrong, just that they don't think the way I think Western culture thinks. 
One of their uh, logos, insignias, one of the images that represents Russia is an eagle that has two heads. One's facing west, one's facing east. And obviously Russia is a land that is both in Europe and Asia. So they're of two minds. And to be frank, you go to Moscow, they're all white people. They, they look like Europeans, but they don't think like Europeans. I had multiple conversations where it's like, okay, we can agree on the base ideas, but then somehow the logic, we go in different directions and we and we don't arrive at the same conclusion. I was talking to a guy and, and this example will make even less sense out of context, but we were talking and, and we agreed that Jesus died on the cross. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. Jesus died on the cross. And that's why we know that Apollo 11 didn't land on the moon. Like, what? How did, how did you get there? We weren't talking about the moon landing. We, we Whoa. <laughs> but somehow, and then he tried to walk me through it, and in his mind, that, that made sense. I never got it. Maybe he did have some genius point that was just above my understanding. But there were a lot of things like that. Takeaway number four, babushkas are terrifying. Uh, a babushka, that's the Russian word for a grandmother. So Russia is a collectivist society, and part of that is that older women in particular feel free to reprimand you in public, even though they don't know you. I was on an escalator coming out of the metro, and the lady in back of me is, like, slapping me with a stick in the back or the side. And I turn around, and she's yelling at me because she wants me to face forward on the escalator. I was facing the side. Apparently, that's like an unwritten rule. I've been yelled out for sitting on the ground because... You know, that's that's bad. You're not supposed to sit on the ground. My wife has been chastised for the way she dresses, for the way she crossed her legs in public. It's women of a certain age, like, have this, like, the scary grandmotherly uh, affectations. And it's terrifying. Old men? No problem, no problem. But those old women, they come, they wear a thousand layers of clothing, and they glare at you, and they will not stop. You get out of their way. They're going to get what they want. <laughs> and everyone seems to understand this. Uh, takeaway number five, the city of Moscow is spectacular. It's the most beautiful city I've ever seen. Um, obviously I haven't been to the whole world, but I've been to several places. It is just gorgeous and so rich with culture, especially seeing it in different seasons of the year. Obviously there's a tremendous beauty to the snow-covered red Kremlin walls, but the fall is also brilliant. And there's so many parks in Moscow. It's a tremendously green city for being the most populous city in all of Europe. There's a ton of greenery. It's really cool. Takeaway number six. The James Bond thing really hurts a lot of people's feelings. At least four or five times I've been asked, why are Russians always the villains in Hollywood movies? Why, why? Like, it really gets under their skin that they're constantly berated as the bad guys. And, you know, they're right about that. I guess we choose them because they're like an easy target for us. But they don't love it. They don't love that we do that. Along those lines, and veering a little bit into the political game, economically, uh, it, it's funny that there's a lot of Russophobia in the media and in politics these days because, you know, from where I stood, it seems kind of laughable. They're not in the same ballpark at all. When you're talking about an economic power, they do not feel like a world power. They're barely able to keep it all together. Um, it took like a tremendous national outpouring and work to host the World Cup this year and to put on a display like, you know, like they're a big boy, like some of the other stronger powers in the world. The standard of living is not up to snuff. You know, they're a second class country when it comes to that. Um, and that's sad. 
But it makes the phobia of Russia and the scare tactics, the Red Scare, you know, in America this last year, amusing because it's just like, what? why are you afraid of this thing that you are so tremendously, at least America, is so tremendously stronger than in pretty much every way you could calculate it? That being said, you do think about it and you think, okay, if, if Russia can't square up, can't fight an open war or would lose in open battle against countries like the U.S., then what do you do when you can't win straightforwardly? If you're trying to fight, then you would use whatever tactic you can to try to get an advantage. Dan Carlin in Hardcore History also says, like, you've got a puncher's chance in a fight. You know, you're hoping to land a uppercut blow and just knock out the behemoth before they get a chance to to throw their own punches because you know they can obliterate you. So I, I have no personal insight into the whole did Russia affect the 2016 elections. I have no idea. Obviously, I was a school teacher, so I was not talking to Vladimir Putin and his folks. I was nowhere close to them. So I have no insight whatsoever. But if if they wanted to fight, I would imagine they would use some sort of underhand tactics to try to win. They would fight like a like a guerrilla warfare type of battle. And how do you fight a guerrilla war in the 21st century? You do it online, electronically. That makes sense to me. Along those lines, the sanctions that the U.S. and other Western countries have put on Russia hurt the economy dramatically. Make no mistake, they want those sanctions gone. So that also gives them a certain motive. Okay, so that was takeaway number seven. Takeaway number eight, there is, there is a lot of fondness for the Soviet Union. Um, I think in general, I mean, again, this is anecdotally, just in my experience with the people I talk to, they think of it favorably. And that, at first, is really astounding. And, and you're like, how, how could you ever want that? The Soviet Union was bad. It was horrible. But then you realize people my age, even people older than me, in their 30s and 40s, they don't remember harshest times of the Soviet Union. They remember the 80s, probably. But the 80s were a vast, vast, vast improvement to the 90s. So when Soviet Union fell and Russia slipped into capitalism, that first decade was really, really bad. The GDP fell by like 30% or something like that. And beyond that, there was corruption everywhere. The police were corrupt. Um, the food lines just became huge. The economy just didn't work. So, again, people my age, people born in the 80s, their oldest memories are of the early 90s when things were abysmal. And that's what they fear. That's takeaway number nine. Russians fear instability because they, they've gone through it. They've gone through various versions of horrific times. And a lot of those versions include not having anything or not having bread on the table, waiting in line to get food all day and then being turned away at the end of the day, wasting a day. That instability or that fear of instability points you to really uh, look up to stability. You prize stability. So in that way, then you look at times of stability as a, a good thing. And that's why, from my perspective, the majority of Russians are in favor of Vladimir Putin because whether or not he does good things, he has provided stability for a long time now for the economy and for the nation as a whole. So strength equals stability. You know, Stalin has been whitewashed, has been taken down his depiction everywhere in Moscow. 
Um, but I think that's starting to change as even Stalin, they looking, they're looking back and saying, hey, we survived World War II, which was horrific in Russia under Stalin. And he was a strong leader. We value strength. We value the strong leaders. And I think that would also be why Trump here would appeal to Russians because he looks, at least on the forefront, as a very strong person. Even as teachers, my wife and I, when we argued with our administrators, when we argued with our bosses, you know, I hate conflict, so I would avoid it like the plague, but my wife is much better at it than I. And when we would argue for our rights, the administrators would would appreciate us more. It was almost like we made a bond with them afterwards. They valued us because we showed strength, we showed grit, we showed our stability. And I don't, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad trait. There can obviously be bad things that happen because of that, but I'm trying to paint a picture that's not just black and white here. Lastly, collectivism. They are a collectivist society. They're not individualists like we are. This explains why the babushkas can feel free to yell at you in public. We've been in parks, and we're with a friend, and they drop a piece of trash, and I go to pick up that piece of trash, and they say, no, 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 don't pick up that trash. You're taking away someone's job because... The government has hired people to clean the park. So if you clean the park for them, you're taking away their job. You got to think about your actions in relation to giving everyone a job. This shows itself in some ugly ways, I think. We've seen grass being, quote unquote, mowed, being cut by scissors, not by lawnmowers, not even, you know, hand cranked lawnmowers, but by literal scissors. I've seen streets sweep by the street sweepers who are, again, government employees, but they have to make their own brooms with sticks, with twigs that they pick up from the streets. Like, these seem like Byzantine ideas. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, if we, if we bought lawnmowers, then they would finish the job quicker, and so we would have to hire less workers. So they're, they're not advancing for the sake of the whole. Oh, uh, there's a lot of examples of this. Um, I don't have time or don't want to get into all of them, but it, it's, it's funny. Um, but there's also a very positive aspect to this. People feel very free when they're just walking in public to ask for directions from people all the time. We've been asked for directions ugh, dozens, dozens of times. And people are also very helpful in public. One time we were walking down a flight of marble stairs towards the underground metro in the center of the city. And my wife trips over one of the stairs and like it's she's like a locomotive and she can't stop and she's like tripping over each stair and it was terrifying thankfully it was the middle of winter so she was wearing a big coat that's probably what saved her from breaking bones when she finally fell um when she did fall before i could even get to her there were six seven people surrounding her helping her up and i'm sure you know people would help in america too but this was this was so fast it was before i could get to her <laughs> Um, it's instinctual. It's in the blood. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say in the blood. It's in the culture. <laughs> so lastly, certain parts about being in Russia in this last year were particularly hard for me. One of which was the weekend that Childish Gambino released his music video called This Is America. To me, it's, it's what, the best music video, or at least the most important music video in the last decade, easily. And I watch this, and I want, it makes me want to be a part of what's happening in American culture and how the church is interacting with that. And I felt the, I felt the yearn to want to be a part of what's happening here. This is a big moment, I think, in American culture and American society. We're coming to a crossroads, and I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but on the, on the flip of that, 
while we were in Russia, I wanted to go to a Russian church, but it turned out I had to work every Sunday. And so out of convenience and out of not understanding enough Russian to make going to a Russian church worth it, um, we became members of an international church. And I'd always been kind of skeptical of international churches. It's like, why are you staying in your little cultural bubble? Be a part of the culture you're in. Learn Russian and go to a Russian church. Um, by the way, I should state too, uh, Russians in general aren't atheists. I In Slovenia, everyone was nominally Catholic, but practicing atheist. In Russia, I expected everyone to be Nominally Russian Orthodox, but atheist in practice. That wasn't so. They were still often nominally Russian, but the, the vast majority of the time, they still had a, a deism in their heart or a theism. They believed in God. It blew me away that that was just uh, kind of taken for granted. Like, of course there's a God. I mean, obviously, in places as large as Moscow, there are atheists, but that was my general perception of the spiritual angle of the culture. Anyway, um, this international church was ended up being a godsend because it wasn't just Americans. It was most. Uh, it was people from all over the world, and uh, the leaders of the church were from Singapore, from France, from Uganda, from everywhere. Or Rwanda, sorry, Francis. But there was something about this church. There was no paid pastor. There was no paid leaders. They rented space in a hotel. Everyone was there because they were just desperate to worship Jesus. And we all knew, like, all right, we all have different denominations we come back from. We believe different things about the sacraments. We disagree on all this stuff. Whatever. It was not important because we were all so desperate to just be together. Being in Russia made me really have a great love for the big C church in Christianity. That's something that's so easy to lose in America. You know, denominationalism is quote-unquote dying here in America. But in another way, I think it's, it's never been stronger. Because you see churches that are solely focused on social justice, or they're focused on, you know, good things, evangelizing. Or they're focused on nationalism and patriotism. Or they're liberals versus conservatives. We, we're finding these dichotomies here. And frankly, it's, it's hard to live with the other side of Christendom right now, whichever side you find yourself on in America. My prayer now for the church here is that we would all become desperate like we were at that international church. You know, you can't preach the gospel on the streets of Moscow. It's illegal. The church had to be, you know, even though it wasn't illegal to be a church, but in essence, as far as cultural impact, we had to go underground. And Lenin went underground. The church went underground. Maybe we need that in America because we need to be desperate just for loving Jesus instead of quibbling over all this stuff. If we could remember that we're visitors here, that was great. This international church, we all knew we were visitors of Russia. So we acted like, I don't know, like the people of God should act. Like people that are just trying to make a good impression and trying to act well in this foreign land while we're here because we know this isn't our ending place. America is not the ending place. Alright, the end. I don't know. I'm rambling. Okay, so later this week, question 91. Next week, stay tuned uh, for my episode talking about my new book, Fun with the Apocrypha. Again, you can find that right now. You can pre-order it or buy it in paperback on Amazon.com or anywhere ebooks are sold. This is Dante Stack signing out. Peace be the journey. <laughs>